As an advocate for women's healthcare, I can tell you I'm very thankful that we have definitely made large leaps. I mean, we have taken large strides in a lot of areas of women's healthcare. Oh, I know, I know we've got a long way to go still, but in general, I'm thankful that things that were once considered taboo, we can definitely talk with our patients about and we're encouraged to do so. I mean, think about it. It's absolutely encouraged to talk with our patients about sexual intimacy, sexual wellness, orgasmic ability sexual orientation. It's okay to ask and talk about those things as long as our goal is patient education, patient protection, and leading them to a better quality of life. Ah, but nonetheless, there remain certain areas of women's healthcare that are still considered taboo. Even something as basic as menstruation still is considered a shameful act in lots of communities across the U.S., That's why I'm thankful that just four days ago, Wimbledon did something to put menstruation back into the spotlight. And even though the period is getting a lot of attention because of that, we still have a long way to go. Yep, there's areas here in the U.S. that suffer from period poverty. If you've never heard of that term before, we're going to talk about it in this episode. And the data is heartbreaking because when you figure out these numbers, they're extremely high and should not be happening in a country like the U.S. So get ready because this, this episode, we're going to cover Wimbledon, the period, and lack. And we've got lots to discuss. So let's get ready right now. Our goal is to keep everyone up to date in practicing evidence-based medicine because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Okay, let me be honest. I hate tennis. It's like super boring. I mean, if you like it, that's great. If you play it, fantastic. It is not for me. Although I did like when McEnroe used to get all mad and bang the racket on the ground and yell at referees. I mean, I was a kid when all that happened. And I thought, well, that's kind of a cool dude. Although I know he had anger issues. You know what? You couldn't pay me to watch tennis. No, no, wait a minute. No, you could pay me to watch it. I'd watch it if you paid me. Shoot, I'd probably watch it if you give me a cup of coffee or a mocha or a latte. But as an OBGYN, I'm very proud of what Wimbledon did on November the 17th, 2022, because it really did give a nod to women's health care. To be honest, since I don't follow this sport, I mean, I don't know if this has been a hot topic or not in social circles, but I can tell you after doing my research on this, this has been a big thing with female athletes, even on the professional level. I mean, Wimbledon had this strict policy of all white clothing, right? Everyone has seen it. And I didn't know that that was, I mean, basically, it's a very strict dress code. You couldn't vary from it. And I never put the two things together, even as a gynecologist, that if an athlete is on her cycle, wearing all white is absolutely not the best choice. And when professional athletes started coming up and started tweeting and saying, look, this is a real issue here. I mean, I can't even play right. I can't even perform well because I'm so worried that I'm going to have a leak and I'm going to be seen on national television. I mean, think about that uh, and, and this emotional toil and this mental anguish that came because they were on their cycle. And if your thought is, oh, well, that's easy. Just take continuous birth control pills or take a Nexplanon or do something for menstrual suppression. Remember that even with menstrual suppression, there's still times of breakthrough bleed. And so having that unpredictability wearing all white really is a big thing. 
before I read the statement from Wimbledon, but before I read the statement from Wimbledon, just a quick thing on this whole all-white dress code. I mean, did you ever think about that? Why, why is that a thing in tennis? Well, the short answer is because it's a strict dress code. <laughs> but if you actually take a look at the history, it goes back to the 1880s. I mean, this is just really the quintessential tennis vibe, isn't it? In the 1880s, sweat stains on dark clothing were considered improper and unsightly. I mean, it was just, that's something that the lowly people wear. Isn't that crazy? I'm telling you, this is the history of tennis. <laughs> so in the 1880s, the dress code, specifically of women, Wimbledon stated that unless you were all white, you weren't allowed onto the court. And that was for nothing more than to avoid the unsightly sweat stains that are considered improper by those in attendance. I'm reading the exact quote from the original dress code. Now, if you love tennis, I'm thankful for you. It's a hard sport. It definitely takes skill. But man, that dress code, that reads kind of snooty, doesn't it? I mean, what do I know about unsightly sweat stains and stuff? I grew up in South Texas on the border of Mexico. I mean, everybody had sweat stains. It's like 110 degrees in the winter. (laughs) So I just find that very interesting coming from my background, you know, the unsightly sweat stains. I thought everybody sweated at 9 p.m. at night when the temperature was a nice breezy 90 degrees. All right, I've digressed a little bit. Let's get back to this issue here. I mean, even former tennis champion Monica Puig, who's from Puerto Rico, has sent out tweets about this, stating, quote, there's a mental stress of wearing white at Wimbledon while on your period, and that can affect performance. I mean, these are her tweets, and there's been all these replies since that tweet first came out, saying, look, I've been there, it's really stressful, and even if I take birth control, I mean, I feel bloated, sometimes I have breast tenderness. Man, I, 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 like, I feel feel bad as a gynecologist. I didn't know this was a thing. But I'm thankful that Wimbledon, starting next year, will change that dress code. According to the wording of the statement from Wimbledon, quote, this means that from next year, women and girls competing at championship levels will have the option of wearing colored undershorts if they choose, end quote. That's progress. I know we've got other areas to fix. I get that. I get that. But I'll take small wins as they come. I mean, we can now talk about intimate partner violence with patients. Again, we've talked about sexual histories. We just we can talk about social determinants of health. We are making slow but real progress regarding women's health care. And this, which may seem kind of inconsequential, right? The white uniform, it can you can now wear colored underpants under the little white skirt. I mean, is that a big deal? Yes, it's a big deal. And I get that. I have two daughters and I would hate for them to be mortified if their mental psyche uh, is so entrapped with their uh, that there may be a stain on their cycle or a leak on their cycle uh, that they don't perform well. I mean, my two daughters are athletes and that's just heartbreaking for me. So kudos to Wimbledon. I know they've got some weird stuff in their history, I guess. But nonetheless, Wimbledon, this is definitely a good nod to women's health care. So good for you for allowing this starting next year in 2023. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, so women's menstruation has gotten some well-deserved press because of the Wimbledon story. Fantastic. And it doesn't stop there. I mean, I'm thankful that we've gotten away from the, quote, 28-day cycle norm, end quote, that was always quoted in all the gynecology textbooks for decades. We now know, of course, that women have a lot of variety in their type of menstruation that they have. Even in ACOG's committee opinion number 651, which is a committee opinion on menstruation in girls and adolescents, using the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. It goes on to tell us that, look, women's cycles have a lot of variation. And by the time that their normal menstrual cycles are set, even after adolescence, that normal cycle frequency can be anywhere from every 28 days up to every 34 days. And that the 28-day cycle isn't really for anyone. Now, of course, having a cycle more commonly or more frequently than every 21 days or less often than every 34 days, that needs evaluation. But if somebody asks you, well, what's the average menstrual cycle? You should go, well, it depends. I mean, for some, it's every 21 days and for some, it's every 34 days. But the old historic norm of every 28 days, which is still used as a historical benchmark, that may not be the case for everyone. That's why I think that there's this interesting paradox. I mean, as women's healthcare advocates, we get all this education about women's periods and menstruation, right? We know how to work up heavy menstrual bleeding, intermenstrual spotting, or irregular cycles. We know the palm coin system. We know disorders of the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis and PCOS. We get that. But yet, at the personal level, at the patient level, there are real communities all throughout the U.S. who lack basic education on menstruation. And worse, they can't even get menstrual supplies. I mean, they can't afford it. And you're like, oh, really? I mean, they, they can get that. No, they can't. I'm going to give you some numbers here that are heartbreaking because this isn't just a convenience issue. This is a real public health matter. And I got to tell you, I'm not going to give any names, of course, we're respecting HIPAA. But last year, I saw a young girl in the ER uh, who was mortified. She had this high fever. She had this bad odor from the vagina, not sexually active. And I pulled out, I think it was three dried wads of cotton that was stuck at the posterior fornix of her vagina. Okay. I said, well, what happened? I mean, this is not a tampon. They're like cotton balls. She said, I, I can't afford tampons. I can't, my family doesn't have pads. So all I could find at the nurse's desk in my high school, y'all listen to this, were these cotton balls. And I started my period and I was tired of doing toilet paper because it was giving me a rash. So I put cotton inside the vagina so I could stop bleeding. This was a real case, guys. I mean, does that not break your heart? And, and she forgot. Well, she thought she got them all out. And so, of course, you know, I, she was basically met soft criteria for PID because she had these retained dried cotton balls in her vagina that I'm sure was causing ascending infection. Remember, not sexually active. So this is a real issue. It's not just convenience. It really is heartbreaking when you consider that lack of menstrual product availability for a lot of communities in the U.S. can actually put their, their health in danger. 
So I'm going to talk about period poverty. We talked about Wimbledon. We talked about the period. Now let's talk about the lack because I'm telling you, these numbers are just sad. If you're thinking, look, why why are we getting this? Why did you pick this? Well, I did it for two reasons. One is I was asked in all disclosure on Friday, uh, which is about two days ago. I I was asked by somebody in Houston on on one of their newspapers to to talk about this and whether I think this is a real issue, period poverty. Of course, my first answer is, do I think it's a real issue? I mean, of course it's a real issue. Did you find somebody who said no? That's very odd to me. But more importantly, before I got in touch with that reporter, the media person for our university reached out to me and said, hey, is this the thing or is she making up this word? I've never heard of period poverty. Now, remind you, this is a journalism, this is a media department who had no idea that this was going on in our backyard. Um, so just as full disclosure, I love where I'm at. I'm in a college town. Uh it's, and it's it's a very uh, dichotomous society that that I have here because <laughs> I have the college population and literally 15 minutes away is a lower socioeconomic uh, area. Uh, and, and that's my heart. I mean, that's where I, I grew up in that kind of community. And in that lower socioeconomic zip code, uh, I mean, girls are suffering. And this came to a head, guys. Think about this. Think about the pandemic when schools closed down. A lot of our patients, and I'm sure a lot of your patients and, and just people in the U.S., they relied on going to school to get their menstrual products. They could go to the nurse's office and hopefully that somebody had donated some menstrual products for them to use. And they even relied on school, for, of course, for, for their lunches. So when things closed down, think about how it affected this kind of issue. So the pandemic really, really was an extra burden for some menstruating girls uh, and women who relied on on their school system to get these products. I'm telling you, heartbreaking. Now, I'm telling you this not to kind of ruin your day or put you in a bad mood or make it sad. No, 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 not at all. But just for you to remember to always ask, not just how is your period? Is it heavy? Is it is it crampy? But do, do you have access to menstrual products? Do you have any kind of problem getting those? How can we help you? And to be real advocates for them. I'm proud to be working with a group of medical students right now who is looking to, to make a student organization to, to get these donations up and going. I had a student... Uh, who shadowed me, who, who did that as an undergraduate. Uh, and, 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 and again, that, that group, one of the problems with student organizations is they graduate or they move on and it leaves that organization in a hole. But I'm trying to get a group of medical students to pick up that charge because there's no reason in, in a state like this or anywhere in the U.S. that these numbers still need to be their reality. So let's get into these numbers next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, here's some interesting tidbits on menstruation that you probably haven't thought of. And it really is just eye-opening when you see these numbers. We're going to get into period poverty in a bit, but I want to show you these numbers. Now, this is assuming regular menstruation, you know, having a cycle every month, typically bleeding anywhere from three up to seven days. 
the average female spends 2,535 days, or almost seven years if you add all those days together, of her life menstruating. Seven years? Ugh, thank goodness the period doesn't last seven years. Is that crazy or what? 25 million women in the U.S. live in poverty, but food stamps do not cover menstrual products. Lack of access to period products actually forces some women in our own community to use newspapers or rolled up toilet paper or socks or old rags or even plastic bags have been reported as being used as menstrual products because they don't have access to normal commercial menstrual hygiene products. That's heartbreaking. Period poverty has been defined as a lack of access to menstrual products, hygiene facilities, proper hygiene waste management, and even health literacy or menstrual education. This affects many women worldwide, and it causes real physical, mental, and emotional challenges. And the U.S. is absolutely not immune. According to published data from the CDC, as well as the Journal of Global Health Reports, this issue lives in our backyard. Here in the United States, 16.9 million women live in menstrual poverty. Two-thirds of the 16.9 million low-income women in the U.S. can't afford menstrual products in the past year, with half of these needing to choose between menstrual products and food items. 14.2% of college menstruating women in the United States have experienced period poverty in just the past year. And according to one report, 10% of menstrual college students experience this every single month. According to the Journal of Global Health Reports, this isn't just a gynecology issue or a menstruation issue. There are real social, cultural, economic, and political barriers here to menstrual product availability, education, and even sanitation. Period poverty has been associated with health issues including depression, urinary tract infections, and vulvar skin irritations when incorrect material is used as a menstrual product. Now, here's another angle that, to be honest, I had not thought of, all right? So I called some school nurses and school principals in random cities through Texas. Yeah, I actually did that in big cities and smaller rural communities as well. And I asked them if this was a big issue. And they all said this is a real issue because girls come to the school nurse or school administration asking for these products. And while you think, of course, it's lower socioeconomic students, it actually affects everyone because at one point or the other, somebody has come to them asking for these products. But here's an interesting take that I didn't realize. They said, you know, Dr. Chapa, it's not just about menstruation and about these products. Is that if they don't have the ability to get these at school, because sometimes school is the only chance they have to get these items, they just don't come to school at all if they're on their cycle. And it leads to unexcused absences and even dropout rates. So think about that. I hadn't thought about that. You know, we take that as an inconvenience, right? Oh, my period came. I don't have a pad. Can I borrow a pad? Or do you have a tampon? I mean, I've heard that from, you know, peers around me and coworkers and residents. I get that. And it's so easily available in our little sphere, our little bubble. But for some of these patients who especially are in lower socioeconomic situations, if they have their cycle, I mean, they just don't have anything to use. So they just don't go to school to avoid that embarrassment. You see how this is a real issue and it's happening every month here in the U.S. 
according to survey data collected at Regis College. Look what these numbers look like as it pertains to schools or, or missing school because of menstruation. Nearly one in five American girls have either left school early or skipped school altogether because they didn't have access to period products. Now, we're not talking about pain here like dysmenorrhea. That's a whole separate issue. This is just because they're bleeding. One in five. And did you catch the word there? American girls. This is in our country. That's sad to me. Remember, one in five. But according to the American Medical Women's Association, quote, in other countries outside of the U.S., two out of every three girls avoids going to school because they haven't been educated about their period and or don't have the proper supplies for it, end quote. Two out of three. So we're one out of five. We're doing much better than that. But it's still too high at one out of five. Now, you know I'm not going to leave you with that kind of crappy data. I mean, that'd be a terrible episode, right? I mean, what a bummer. No, no, no. There is good news here. Remember, my purpose is to try to encourage you to be an advocate for your patient and not just ask how their periods are doing, but do they have access to period products? But as recent as October 2022, out of USA Today, pharmacies are trying to fix this. You see, one of the big barriers to access is this darn tax, otherwise known as the tampon tax or the pink tax. And we got to get rid of that. Remember that the definition of period poverty isn't just about the lack of funds to buy menstrual products, but it also has to do with a lack of menstrual education. It's health literacy. And that's where we come in. We shouldn't just ask how the patient's period is and then go right into a workup to try to figure out why it's too heavy or doesn't come that frequently. But we should also ask if they have an ability to buy menstrual products that they need. That's how we can do our part to really fill in the gap. And that's all part of that social determinants of health that's been now part of mainstream medicine. It's one thing to give a patient information or give them a prescription. If they don't have the funds to get that medicine, it doesn't do them any good. So remember, it's great to ask about their cycle and how it affects their quality of life, but it's equally as important to ask if they have access to just necessary menstrual products. Well, the good news is that patient advocacy groups, they do work. I mean, they actually shed a lot of light and put a lot of attention on this period poverty fact. And now national retail pharmacy chains are paying attention. Local legislatures and state laws are now changing to move to repeal these pink laws. Now, it's a slow move, but thankfully, many more states are coming on board. On October the 13th, 2022, this story came out on USA Today that core CVS pharmacy locations will now pay the, quote, pink tax, end quote, on CVS Health brand products for all of its customers. The policy, which began in early October, is part of the company's effort to help eliminate pink tax and the tampon tax nationwide and help combat period poverty. That's straight out of the press release from CVS Core Pharmacies. Now, this is not a plug for CVS Pharmacy. This is not a sponsor. I just want to let you know what they're doing. And it's not on all products. It's on the CVS branded products, but it's a start. Thankfully, this is getting the attention that it needs. An article was published in U.S. News on September the 28th, 2022. And the article is, quote, how schools can address period poverty, end quote. In that article, a middle school teacher recounts her story of a student bleeding through her clothes during class and her being bullied for, quote, having a natural, normal process to occur, end quote. 
And that's the reality for many students. There are often feelings of shame or embarrassment and even social repercussions associated with having a period. And a lot of this has to do with lack of education, lack of awareness, and in the case of this U.S. News Report story, of not having the right menstrual products to wear. That's how period poverty comes in. All right, podcast family, as we get ready to enter Thanksgiving week, I mean, we really need to be thankful. I mean, honestly, we all got our issues, right? I mean, everyone has problems. Nobody's life is absolutely perfect. I mean, I got issues. I mean, everybody has some issues. Well, some would say I've got a lot of issues. Nonetheless, we still have a lot to be thankful for. And if our daughters or if you or your family can go to the store and just buy a box of tampons, put it into your bag and go and check out and get it done... That really is something to be thankful for because right here in the U.S., there's plenty of women who can't do that. And remember, this also affects women of all orientations, whether they're cis or trans. It doesn't matter. This is just is no respecter of person. So that's why we need to stand into the gap and be patient advocates, not just about how their periods are doing, but if they have access to the required medical devices to take care of those periods. And that includes tampons and pads. All right, podcast family, we're thankful for you. We're thankful that you're part of our podcast family. And now we're thankful that we can do something to help educate and hopefully make a dent in period poverty. Thanks for being part of Clinical Pearls, and we'll see you on the next episode.